Hey everybody, this is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. So before we get started proper, I wanted to encourage you to go listen to the two previous episodes for the podcast, um, the previous Sunday edition, which is all about the kind of swallowing whole of right stuff into the Crunchyroll machine. It's, it's called um, Sunday Edition Wrong Stuff. I'm very proud of that title. I'm prouder of that title than I should be. And um, go check out the previous Thursday episode all about Ikabukuro Westgate Park. This is going to be a bit of an odd Thursday episode. Not something that I've never done before on Thursday um, edition of the podcast, but something I haven't done in a while because it hasn't really been something that I thought fit in a while. And the reason for that is of the property we'll be talking about today and that's a little film that is brand spanking new like came out last Friday called Bullet Train Hi there's a gun it's the quiet car Got ease your small inside voice in here, son. There's a gun. Talk to me. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Hey, this is nice. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. Doesn't get simpler. You stab me? We'll ruin your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. There's nothing simple about this job. Something else going on here. Yeah, I'm not the only one on this train looking for this case. Evan, mm. where's the briefcase? Oh, it's not shit. It was just there. We are right on schedule. Everything that's ever happened to you. This is gonna sting, bitch! Whoa! Has led you here. Fate. That's a shit deal. Oh, no, thank you. You know what? Do you have uh, anything sparkling? That's the one. Thank you. Domo arigato. You sure you don't want to talk this out? Not particularly, no. Uh, okay. Exclusively in movie theaters. Now, before we get into talking about the film Bullet Train proper, 
I want to touch a little bit on something that I think is a commonality between the following three things. The movie we're talking about today, Bullet Train, the movie Lost in Translation, and the show, and it, to some extent, the show um, version of Tokyo Vice, which I've also covered on this podcast, and you can listen to that episode wherever you listen to podcast. But the long and short of it is, is that... And this happens a lot with not just Japan, but with really East Asian settings for film, for films in for for American film. And a lot of that has to do with just the nature of the cityscape of a place like Tokyo and the city and the kind of dense population of a place like Japan in the kinds of places that these movies tend to um, be be fi- that these movies and shows tend to be filmed in. One of the things that they didn't do in, and I find this very telling. One of the things they did, I didn't actually talk about this in my um, conversation, my thoughts about the Tokyo Vice HBO um, adaptation. But one of the things they didn't do in that show is they didn't focus on the earlier part of the book where Jake isn't technically living in Tokyo proper. He's living in a much farther out, much more rural area, and it's a lot less densely packed. Mostly because they probably wanted to shoot Tokyo, which is a cool thing to shoot. But there can be this, like, wow, look at weird Tokyo factor to shooting in Tokyo from an American perspective because it's a lot of like dense walls of just buildings and people and just stuff that you don't necessarily go want, know what's going on and one of the best one of the best examples of that kind of shooting of that city is a um seen actually in Lost in Translation. There's a scene in Lost in Translation where I think it's I think um, Bill Murray and what's her face? Um, she plays Black Widow and she was um, Scar- well Bill, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson meet up with Scar- some of Scarlett Johansson's like artsy friends in a strip club and Bill Murray is just, like, very uncomfortable. And her and Bill Murray are like, we have enough sexual tension between us. We don't need some lady with her tits out to, like, make this worse. So they leave. And they're just kind of, like, running through the streets of Tokyo. And at some point they pass through a pachinko parlor. If you know what a pachinko parlor is, like, you know what this is. But it really meant to be shot and shown as, like, this strange occurrence. And it... It is and it isn't. It's... Pachinko is kind of a uniquely Japanese thing. But... Like, once you know what Pachinko is, you're like, oh, it's a it's a slot machine. It's a, it's a slot machine den. It's not that hard to get. To, to like, get through your head. 
But the result is just like, kind of like, ooh, look at Weird Tokyo. And there's lots of like, Japan equals weird stuff in that movie, in, in Lost in Translation. There is some of that in, um, in Tokyo, in the Tokyo Vice adaptation from HBO, but it's significantly less. And it's, it's more of a cultural, of a culture shock thing for the main character that does, that is illustrated somewhat in the books, but it's, it's not anywhere to the degree that it is in something like Lost in Translation. The reason why I'm mentioning both of these things is because I think that the film Bullet Train kind of is kind of the middle of both of them. It for a for a couple different reasons. It is a kind of like ooh, look at like big shiny neon lit Tokyo. It is also very much just the place that this story takes place in. And if you listen to the character, to the character of Brad Pitt playing, he is very, and it stars Brad Pitt, by the way, he is very much of a kind of spiritual tourist in Japan that ha that does happen. And actually, um, Jake Adelstein originally came to Japan to, like, study Buddhism and become a monk. He was not like you or I listening to this podcast where we would go to Japan. Well, I would go to Japan at this point because one of my best friends in the world, Haikie, lives in Japan now. Is like back in Japan and not coming back to America anytime soon. Thanks, COVID. Um, but the so like the kind of like guy that Brad Pitt is does exist. And, like, he has these lines all over the movie where he's like, Look, man, I don't want to deal with this bullshit anymore. I just want to get off the train, go find a nice Zen temple, and, like, meditate and get my shit back together because I'm clearly slipping. And <laughs> what makes this movie interesting and what makes this movie something that I think that anime, f that I think that specifically anime fans would like is not necessarily that it takes place entirely on a bullet train. But that it has a very... And I'm, I understand the kind of praise I'm giving this movie right now, but I will get there, I promise. It has a very paranoia agent-like quality to it. And I know when I say paranoia agent, a bunch of things go through your head. But what I mean by that is, it has this quality to it, where the cat, where it's like it's moving to the left every, it's, it's moving the camera to the left every time it talks about, every time it wants to tell a new chapter in the story it's telling. And this, it does help that this is based off of a book by um, Kotaro Isaka, um, and it's directed by David Lynch. But what this movie is doing is it's, intent on telling the story where all the characters are connected but most of the characters don't know they're connected in some way. So the basic idea of this movie is that Brad Pitt's character is this like 
gun-for-hire, spy, like, operative-type deal. And he's getting... Um, he's getting... He's getting... Um, what's it called? He's getting, um, instructions from... Uh, from, like, a disembodied voice that turns out to be Sandra Bullock at the end of the movie. Um, is his handler, and she's giving him these instructions, and they make it very clear that they have worked together before. And Bride Pitt's character is instantly given the name Ladybug. And lots of these characters are given, like, non-specific noun um, names, because they want it to function kind of like Almost like a mo- almost like a modern myth kind of thing, but not quite. So Brad Pitt's character, Ladybug, is this like gun for hire guy, and he's being guided the entire time, very hilariously by um, Sandra Bullock actually, um, m- whose character name is Maria. And Maria though, it's like when Maria is first gives him the job, he goes to, like, a storage locker in the train station, and he picks up uh, all the stuff he asked for, and then there's a gun. And she said, she knows when he's encountered the gun, because he, like, pauses. He stops talking for five seconds. And she's like, take the gun. He's like, no, I'm not taking the gun. Every time I take the gun, people die. And Maria's instantly, like, I don't think it's the gun. I think it's you. He's like, it can't be me. I, I, I'm not that person anymore. I've changed. And so Brad Pitt gets on the train. Brad Pitt's goal is to get this briefcase. And the briefcase is the actual property of this character. Um, this character who is a who's the son of, who's the son of the main bad guy, um, where is he, um, he is, he's not Logan Loretti, he's not Logan Lerman, he's not Logan Lerman, I don't think, but they, this guy and this briefcase are supposed to be being guarded by two characters named Tangerine and Lemon. And they're the they are also like these gun for hire and it's revealed that like Ladybug Brad Pitt Brad Pitt's character has encountered them once before in this job in Bolivia that went massively sideways and you're led to believe may have may have guided him to leaving his entire life behind and living in Japan and pursuing Buddhism just in general. Like, that that may have been the turning point for him. So, Tangerine and Lemon are played by, uh, by the two characters who are a white British actor and a black British actor. And everybody calls them twins, although no one thinks they are twins. And what this movie does really well is it shows you these characters, it shows you parts of their life in order to, for you to understand 
their relationship to each other, their their relationship to the world, and all this other stuff. So, in kind of the same way that um, paranoid agent keeps paranoid agent keeps turning the camera to the left to focus on another uh, to make the next episode about a side character in the last episode you watched. Generally speaking, even if that side character was only seen in like the background in like the background of a shot, the show, paranoid agent will be this episode is about this person's weird experience, and then by the end they've co- they've connected them all, and actually all throughout they're connecting all of the experiences of all these people, and you don't really feel the full force of that in this movie until you get to the last character they focus on. The last character they focus on is an inanimate object. It is a water bottle. It's, it's like one of the classic square-shaped Fiji water bottles. And it takes you through this water bottle's entire journey from being bought from the vending machine. It recontextualizes the whole movie from the perspective of a water bottle. (laughs) And that's what I was like, oh, this thing is kind of like Paranoia Agent. That's kind of cool as shit. And the... And I've heard, I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, although I probably should. But, like, this... Apparently they did this with a rock in everything everywhere all at once. They did something similar. And this movie is so committed to that bit and taking all these and doing something pretty unique in the fact that it decided to, like, have a locked room slugfest except on a big old bullet train through Japan. So the way they use that train are pretty interesting. They use the dining car as, like, a place to stash bodies and the, like, MacGuffin of this show, of this of this movie, which is this briefcase. Um, it's actually a specific brand of briefcase. I forget who makes it, but they've been advertising that exact briefcase on Instagram, which, as a tie-in, is fucking hilarious. Um, but... So they use the dining car like that. They have a extended fight sequence... That it's ingenious and hilarious in the quiet car. They have like a fight in straight up the back of the train, like the back, the reverse conductor thing of the train. They use the stops as ways to introduce new characters into the narrative and also remove other characters out of the narrative. There are characters who are revealed to be. part of the main cast, like, almost at the very end of the film, who you've seen kind of going through the film, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. So, thing I will tell you is, more than any movie I've seen in a while, all the characters that you see on the poster for Bullet Train, are significant. There is not a non-significant character there. 
and the the kind of genius in the way they use them and once again much like paranoia agent the way they relate them back to each other constantly and they make sure that like the character in this film called the hornet and you don't you don't see her for most of the for most of the film except in flash except eventually in flashbacks but when you're first given that flashback you're like Brad Pitt didn't poison all these people did he if he didn't who did cuz there's a dude named the wolf here and he stabbed Brad Pitt and that combined with like the great shot opportunities of like the promotional car around this mascot character that's like neon purple and blue everywhere that combined with the aesthetic of the character named the prince who is this um who is this um like daughter who, who is like this young girl who you don't know why she's such a badass but she is All of that feels like some of the most stylish parts of Quentin Tarantino movies. All of it feels very... All of it feels very intentional and very controlled in a way that is necessary to make to make all the gears move. But one of the kind of like most fun things that I found in this movie is Brad Pitt's character is like a real it's like a version of Vasta Stampede realized. Like all Brad Pitt's character wants is love and peace. And he's been given a very simple job. And that very simple job is um Sandra Bullock's character um Mariah just says, all you gotta do is go get this briefcase. So he tries to go and get this briefcase and all he... It's a very simple goal for his character in this movie. Get the briefcase and then leave the, get off the train. Just very simple thing. Doesn't even need to involve anyone except for him in the briefcase. But this movie keeps complicating that and keeps forcing the character to make the choice to stay on the train until the end, until the end of the line, ultimately. And it keeps spiraling towards its end conclusion and making sure the Brad Pitt's main character, ha he has plenty of opportunities to like, takes the briefcase and step off the train and worry about none of what the fuck's happening on that train ever again. But the narrative keeps him on the train constantly. And so what you end up with in this scenario is this like character who once again is like She's like, want to resolve all of this peacefully. And nobody wants to resolve all of this peacefully. At, but also, much like Vash of Stampede, it's very capable of kicking your ass. 
Like, when need be, he will kick the shit out of you. If you are trying to kick the shit out of him. But he would prefer not to. And you can actually go see this in one of the trailers for the movie. There's a scene where Brad Pitt and the character who, once you see the movie, realizes the character Tangerine are fighting in the, like, food storage locker, basically. And they're, like, beating the shit out of each other. And then the waitress comes in with the food truck, with, like, the food thing that you would see on a train or a plane. And they stop. They instantly stop. And they're just, like, trying to make it seem like they don't hate each other's guts. And the waitress is just, like, these two foreigners, this is weird, but hi. And she just, like, politely restocking the food and then she offers them food and brat and the and tangerine who's a british who's one of the british like assassin guys is like no 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 thank you and um brad pitt is instantly like do you have some do you have some water do you have like something sparkly and she hands him like a one of the long glass cylinder boss sparkling water like that's the one and then he makes the other guy pay for it because he doesn't know where his wallet is. Which is, hey, just a hilarious, like, just a hilarious gag of just like, god damn it, Brad Pitt is, that might be an asshole in this, in this movie. And then he, he like takes a nice, healthy gulp and he just looks at him and he goes, like, you see? You want something? He's like, and the British guy's like, no. He goes, do you sure you don't want to check it out? Talk this out? And the British guy's like, no. And then he screws the top back on this glass water bottle and just full on yeets it at his head and like slams it squarely in the side of his head. And it's this, it's this kind of slack, slapstick humor combined with this core pacifism that really gets the character of Ladybug to this, like, why can't everybody just get along and just, just get along to get along-ness of, of a character like Vash at Dampede. And then you have all these other characters. You have the character of the son who is trying to, um, who is trying to, um, I think it's the son. You have the, you have this character who's trying to like protect his son and this character clearly a mop who clearly a Yakuza boss who's trying to help him protect his son and protect help him help his son protect his grandson and protect all of them at the same time and ultimately successfully does so but Hey, if you have the chance to see this movie in theaters, I encourage you to go see it in theaters because it's just—it's really good looking. It's clearly taking—it's clearly taking hints from another live-action mo- movie I've covered on this podcast, um, which is Shin Godzilla, with its titling, like when it introduces a ca- like the a point of view character, it gives them like a big splash title in Japanese and English. 
and it feels very Shin Godzilla um, theater print esque because if you didn't, if you only ever seen Shin Godzilla in the theaters, um, the big red titling is exclusively for the print of the film that were sent to theaters. It is not on anything else. Like you can't. It's, I don't think you can see it on anything else. Um, but, which is a really interesting and unique choice. But, so you have characters like that. You have characters like, um, the prince. The, like, little evil girl who's just, like, seemingly fucking with everybody to fuck with everybody. Um, you find out later that she's not. That she has a goal. Um... You have characters like um, Hornet, who you eventually meet, and you're like, oh, Jesus. She's just, she's like out to poison people and make money doing it. Um, the poor concession girl. Um, and they, this whole thing, you ultimately find out is like spawned by a... Um, partially by a misun by misunderstanding, like the big bad guy was is just after somebody who Brad Pitt is not, and even Brad Pitt's like, listen, like I'm not Carter, and yeah, Carter is kind of an asshole, but I'm not him, which I find just like hilarious, and. The other thing that reminds me of Trigon and, ba and Bastion Tampede and Trigon is Brad Pitt's in Brad Pitt's character is Brad Pitt's character feels like disaster follows him. And he makes it very clear that like he doesn't like killing people. It just keeps happening though. And I find I find it really hilarious because there's this like running gag in the movie where he's bringing all... Because we're at, we're at the point where the train is still full enough for people to notice. He's bringing all the people he kills to the dining car and, like, shoving them in the same booth and covering them with, like, blankets and shit to make it seem like they got super drunk and are passed out. But they're just dead under there. And there's also another character... um A character who is who Tangerine and Lemon are supposed to be protecting. And... He dead... Like, that character is... No, I dead within the first five seconds of this movie. It's... Astonishing. And they don't know who did it. They don't know how it happened. You Later, you figure out how it happened. You understand it. And... He just, like propped up against the window, they got some, like, promotional mascot sunglasses to put over him, and they pull his hood up, and he's just, like, it looks like he's sleeping, but he's, he's super dead. He's super dead for the entire movie. It, it's kind of hilarious. And then there's Lemon, and Lemon is a really nice, is a really great touch. Because Le Lemon's whole deal is, and this is also a great this is kind of like an anime character who has a stick. Lemon's big obsession is Thomas the Tank Engine. 
And they carried around these sticker sheets from Thomas the Tank Engine. You could probably order online, I bet. <laughs> he assigns Thomas the Tank Engine characters like a personality assessment to people he meets. And he, like, gives people assessments like, you're Thomas. But the biggest, worst thing he can... But he's also... Everybody... Everybody kind of realizes, like, Lemon's got this figure to fuck out. Like, he... He may, like, present it as this corny bullshit thing, but he's always weirdly right. So, in Lemon's assessment, the worst thing you can be is a Diesel. Because Diesel is just... Because the character of Diesel just represents absolute chaos and just, like, a problem. And ultimately, he, like, decides, like, ah, oh, Ladybug, I think you're a diesel, mate. And he, like, takes out a sticker and puts it on him. And, like, later on, like, him having put those stickers on people reveals something about them that is important for the rest of the cast. Because the rest of the cast understands this, like, Thomas the Tank Engine personality quiz nonsense. And it like it has, it has an effect on the story as a whole, which is great. And a thing that tends to happen in any kind of long form storytelling, from films to books to anime to any of it, is you can introduce something and then immediately drop kick it out of frame and never speak of it again. This movie makes sure to not do that. If it introduces something to you, it will be important at some point between when it's introduced and the end of the movie. So the so then this is spoilers for um this. When they introduce this character of the mascot who's on who's like kind of exclusively for mo for mo much of the movie in this mascot in this car, it's like a promotional deal for this mascot character. It tries to take the briefcase. And I think it's Brad Pitt who just straight up drop kicks this thing and just runs off with the briefcase because it tried to take it from him. It's revealed that that mascot is the, like, poisoning assassin Hornet. And very, one of the first things the movie tells you, like, I think it's the opening, it's like the opening scene is that an extremely venomous snake has been found has been found missing has been discovered to be missing from a local Tokyo Zoo and it's super dangerous the snake is on the train and they make sure to connect when they put in a detail like that they make sure to connect it in at some point. With either a voice line or like an active demonstration. Like, oh, okay. That's why the snake is on the train. I, it's just, it's like... This also has a feel of something like Bacano, Where it's like building up stuff constantly to a point. And it's just, it's... This also has, because it, because A, it is a 
it's a it's adapted from a uh, from a clearly um Japanese from a clearly Japanese novel um who's had a bunch of other things adapted into um movies this could have very easily been an anime been a multiple episode anime and not a film I'm happy that it got to be a film although I would totally watch this as an anime it would be a really interesting weird ass thing but I totally I totally get why it's a film but I also totally get why when I, I went in like I think it came out on came out on Friday it came out last Friday I went to see it last Saturday and there was nobody in the theater I get why people would look at this and be like, what the hell? But it's A, it's worth your time going to see, and B, when you watch it, you will see the kind of, like, big cast, everyone connected circumstantially, but not much more than that-ness of this show. Think of, and when you think of shows like that, like shows like Durara, or like Bacano, or like any number of anime, really. They all kind of have a similar-ish pedigree and level of quality that you just need to make a story like this work. And this film has that in spades. It, and the, the last, like I said earlier, the last character they introduce is really the one that drives it home. Where they're like, okay... We've done this the entire time, and we haven't introduced a new character in a while. We want you to pay attention to the water bottle. Pay real attention to the physical movement of this water bottle. And it's just... It's really funny. I wonder if they attached a GoPro to the water bottle, actually. Um, but... On that note, I think I'm going to end it a little earlier here. And if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and Sunday and every other Sunday. Thursday are more like this, so usually they're about actual, they're about anime series or movies, not about live action series or movies, although occasionally they are. Oftentimes I'll cover like a live action adaptation or something that has a lot of tie-in to anime, like I felt Bullet Train did. Um... And then so every other Sunday episodes I call the Sunday editions, and they're about things that are more metatextual, things about the anime industry, things about the fandom, things about like high, like high concepts or maybe like a whole genre of things. Um, so if you are interested in either of those, you can find this podcast anywhere you are currently listening to podcasts and currently listening to me. Um, on that note, I've been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Thursday. Konnichiwa. Right on schedule. Deer Creek International Business Solutions, how can I help you? I am ready. Well, that's great, Ladybug. Ladybug? Your new operational name. Oh, I see what you're doing. Ladybug's supposed to be lucky. Ha! You don't have bad luck. Really? 
My bad luck is biblical. I'm not even trying to kill people and someone dies. I remember the suicidal bellboy. You drove him to the hospital. Hang in there, buddy! And he didn't die. Okay, the wedding. Tequila? Johannesburg. It's time for some change. You want it simple for your first job back? It doesn't get simpler. We need to find a person who took that case. That's too easy. Shit. What? Remember those two wackos from the Bolivia job? The twins? Yeah, I'm not so sure they're twins. Get off the train. You stab me? I would never start coming for you. What? I missed my stop. Something else going on here. Hi. You don't remember me. You look like every white homeless man I've ever seen. Really? You don't remember me? lady i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm i'm working on it get off at the next stop sounds so easy when you say it one little prick from this you know what happens yes your blood congeals clogging your food i said yes ah, balls. you're going to want to hear the whole story what's waiting for us in kyoto the white death with his army of assassins there's this soulless psychotic leader with the largest criminal organization on the planet shoved right inside a See the white death letting any of us off this train. We need to come up with a plan. I'm gonna hurt people. What's happening to your face? Maybe there was a little head trauma? Maybe. I, I gotta get off this train. Sorry, buddy. Theaters.